Uh, as Kyle said, we're in the series, but since it's summertime, a large percentage of you haven't been here through the series, and that's totally okay, because we're kind of each one on its own little uh, entity. But there's an interesting thing that's happening within this series, and if you haven't been here, you can always go back and grab the podcast off the website and listen to it on your way to work or in the car. That's what I do. It's kind of a nice way to pick up old sermons. But we're kind of in a series within a series because three of us, Ken, Craig, and myself, all kind of uh, grappled with the same topic, the same theme. And we looked at it from different angles. It's much like looking at this building from one side and the other side and the other side. It'd be the same building, but you'd see different sides of it. And so I want to continue that theme within a theme from Proverbs. It's, it's the thought of the relationship with Christ, knowing Christ, really knowing Christ. See, I can't pass on what I don't possess. And so how much do you really know Christ? Certainly there's the salvation side of things, and depending on where you are in your faith, the journey, that may or be not be something you're familiar with. But maybe you've walked with Christ for a while, and you know Christ. But do you know the disappointment in Christ? Do you know the pleasure in Christ? Do you know when his timing didn't match your timing? Do you know Christ? Do you trust Christ? Is your heart aimed in that direction? So I want to continue on with that theme, and, and I'll be using the word commitment for lack of better words, and it's a ver- one of the words that's in Proverbs. But sitting in this room, you're committed to listening to me. Or if you're on the podcast, you're committed to listening to me. Now you can always get up and leave. It's an option you have. But for right now, you've committed yourself to that. But even the thought of commitment, the meaning of the commitment is a very generational thing. It means something different today than it did a few decades ago. Like, what if I was to tell you that I'm in a committed relationship with my partner? That means a whole different package of business than it would a couple decades ago. But, but it's true. And I'm a different guy as a result of assuming this matrimonial dog collar for 34 years. I'm a different guy. It's been a good thing to me to commit to that. But I'm a different guy because I'm journeying with somebody else. My partner happens to be my wife. Her name is Debbie. I journey with her. And so by virtue of journeying with her, my journey goes in directions that I wouldn't always go. But as I've said before from here, the research would suggest that after about 25 or 30 years of matrimonial bliss, the relational quality goes up for many reasons. One is We've learned to accept what we can't change, but one is we know our partner. We know our partner. And as Ken said a few weeks back, we trust what we know. We trust who we know. We really know them, and then we trust them. See, marriage is about a decision to be in a relationship. Following Jesus is about a decision to be in a relationship. And when we journey with Jesus, we realize that life doesn't always go the way we want it because we're journeying with another person. Only this person isn't our partner. This person is our creator. So with that kind of a context and a backdrop, let's look at a couple verses in Proverbs 16. And let's just sort of, uh, I would have to use the word at least once in my message, unpack those verses. So Here's the three verses. Proverbs 16, 1. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now we're going to continue on that theme. The heart of man plans his ways, 
but the Lord establishes his steps. And then verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So I've, I've put these out of order, but I want to get the concept there. There's a couple things going on at the same time. I'm making plans, but God's establishing the outcome. And there's that tension. So the word commit in the first verse, actually it's verse 3, it, in the Hebrew it literally means to roll onto. To roll onto. So I roll my plans onto the Lord. And then my plans will be established. Some translations say succeed. Well, I've rolled my plans onto the Lord. So have you ever seen videos of launching the big Navy ships? They're like a football field and a half long. So they're built in a warehouse and they're rolled around in some device or whatever. Then at some point, they literally slide them down an incline and they roll them. If you haven't seen, it's pretty interesting. They roll them onto the water. And as they roll them onto the water, for a moment, it looks like the very waters that were designed to uphold them are going to consume them. You know where this metaphor is going. It looks like it's going to sink. It looks like it's going to roll too far and turn over in the waters that it was designed to be in. Right? We're designed to be in those waters, and we roll our plans onto the Lord and say, wait, 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 that's not what I had in mind, God. I'm looking this way, you're looking that way. All seems lost. And so it's important to sort of have those verses in mind when you are in those stages of realizing that I'm not as much of a free agent as I think I am. I can't just go where I want to go, sign who I want to sign. You know, like Le LeBron, what's his name, James or something? I don't know what that guy's name is. Yeah, LeBron James. Well, I guess he's not a free agent anymore. But, right, I'm just going to go where I want to go. I can do what I want to do. Hmm. Sure, I've got a free will. But there's things I can't control. There's things outside of my control. Being a motorcycle rider, I just tend to read information about motorcycles. And it's summertime when the bikes are out, the accidents are up. Most motorcycle accidents are a result of alcohol. But there are a few of them, and there have been a few of them lately, where, you know, average citizens are out on their bike just riding, and somebody goes left to center and just takes them out. That's not their plan. They didn't plan that. It happened. It happened. I've got a sister up in Minnesota right now who's battling cancer, and it's not all clear what to do, and the treatment, and she's making her plans, and the plans aren't always working out the way she wants them to according to the treatment protocol. So when you share your life with someone else, such as in marriage, you both play a role. In following Jesus, we see from these verses a limited view of our role to roll our plans onto the Lord, but do we acknowledge God's role? That of bringing the outcome, bringing the success. I was having a late night snack with my three-year-old granddaughter, as grandfathers are known to do. A little ice cream for the two of us. And she had her little mini cone. Have you seen those mini cones? They're like two and a half inches tall for kids. They're great. Put three tablespoons of ice cream in there. They lick them forever. So she had her little mini cone, and I had my little mini, my little mini bowl. And we're kind of chomping away. And I look up one time, and she just has her mouth open like a small bird. Like, you want some of mine? She goes, it's nice to share with friends. I mean, she's quoting, <laughs> she's quoting her mother to the T. It's nice to share with friends. 
And I said, will you share yours with me? She goes, oh, no. Oh, no. It was real clear. But I thought, you know what, to some degree, that's me. I want what God provides, but I don't always want to give what God wants from me. See, God has an expectation of our role. He wants, a, he wants us to commit our plans to him. He actually wants to commit our lives, ourselves to him. He wants us to trust him, as Ken said a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of other things we can trust in. We can trust in money. We can trust in prestige, success, possessions. I mean, all that stuff. He talked about that. And then Craig talked about the value of our hearts in following him. And, and two of these verses talk about our hearts. So commitment, commit, and hearts are connected. You've probably heard the phrase, maybe, maybe you've used it yourself. I've set my heart on something. Maybe a purchase, maybe a house, maybe a big thing. Houses are great because you set your heart on them, but you don't really know how it's going to turn out. Somebody could bid you out, could be not the right price. And we're going to look in, in a minute in a verse from Psalms that tells us that God will give us the desires of our heart. Is that true? Well, it is true if you understand the larger context. See, Jesus gave his life for us. He sacrificed his life for us. He paid the price of my sins on the cross for me. And then he says, Tim, I want you to sacrifice your life while living for me. So let's look at Psalm 37, 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Some translations say cultivate faithfulness. There's that sense of being faithful versus being successful. That's God's job. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. That commit is the same word. Roll onto. Usually in the Old Testament, the word commit literally means to roll. A stone, they usually use the word roll. Here it's translated commit. You roll your ways in the Lord. You delight yourself in the Lord. That is your passion and he will give you what you want. If you want what he wants, he gives you what you want. Here's another way of saying that as a John Piper quote. We can live for our will or God's will, or we could have our passions so transformed that we need not choose between the two. That's transformation. That's an exchange life right there. To really understand that my focus is so Christ-focused that my passions are Christ's passions. So it, it could almost seem a little bait and switch. If God will give me the desires of my heart, but wait a second, that's not quite true. It doesn't seem fair. God never said he was fair. He said he's just, he said he's love, he said he's righteous. Reminder, he created us. And he created us for this relationship with him. To really know him. And he's most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. That's another Piper quote. 
So we commit our ways to him. We trust him to act in our best interest because he knows what is in our best interest more than we do. But we don't like that very much. We have a hard time believing that when our plans get changed, that wasn't in my best interest. So we might commit our plans to him, but we want the outcome that we want. And there's that tension, which means we have to entrust our plans, entrust our life to him. There's this guy named Charles Blondin. He was a daredevil tightrope walker back in the 1850s. And he was the first one to cross Niagara Falls. Well, he didn't really cross the falls. It was downriver just a little bit. Because back in those days, the technology was such that it was pretty primitive in getting this two-inch hemp rope, 1,300 feet long, from a tree wrapped around the American side, oak tree, to rock wrapped around the other side. And he obviously was quite a daredevil. It had never been done before. So it's not the actual falls, but certainly still fast waters. And he had a, a friend and a manager, this guy Harry, who was his, who managed his stuff because he made quite a spectacle out of the whole thing. And considering the fact that it was not social media, it was probably a very local spectacle. And so he tied down, secured the rope every 20 feet, except for the middle 50, he couldn't secure it down because it, and then it swayed a whole lot. So it added to the drama. And so they were, they were viewing, they were setting up, champ, setting up camps viewing him. They had a little gambling going on. Is he going to live? Is he going to die? Not very friendly, but that was what was going on. And they had benders out. It was like this big production. So he got in the rope, and 23 minutes later, he crossed the rope, and he did it. That was like a big deal. Well, he wasn't satisfied with that. So he started doing backflips on the rope. He started cooking dinner on the rope. At one time, he set up this whole camera, which was not a selfie from an iPhone, right? And took pictures of the crowd. Then he came out one time with a wheelbarrow on the rope. Who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Hey, they like the wheelbarrow. We think you can do it. I'm not doing it with you, though. They trusted him. They weren't willing to entrust their life to him. So then he came out one time with a guy on his back. This was his manager, his friend, his coach on his back. And he went across the wire with a guy on his back. See, Harry, his manager friend, totally trusted him. And he told Harry, he says, look up, Harry, the guy on his back. Look up. Don't look down. You're no longer Harry, but you're now Charles. You're me. Until I clear this rope, be a part of me, mind, body, and soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. Ooh, rich with application right there, right? Don't balance yourself. God, I got this figured out. I know, I know a little bit better than you do. Hang on a second, God. It's natural for us to, to feel that way, but to really entrust, to jump on the back, and to go through life while God is doing this and trusting that God knows where the next foot's going to go. That's an ongoing process. So no matter how long you've walked with the Lord, Long time, short time. This never goes away, the desire to want to balance yourself. It never goes away. Because we always have our humanness with me. We're always trying to conform our passions to his passions. 
Peter says that Jesus entrusted his life to a father who judges justly to the cross. So he gave his life for us. How much do I entrust my life to God? How committed am I to following his plans, whatever they are? So back to the cultural nuances of the word commitment. It's not viewed as favorably today as it might have been several decades ago. We've got some commitment phobe going on, don't we? Phobia, for those of you a little bit older. Relationally, vocationally, we're looking to kind of, you know what, we're not all in this thing. We want to be independent. After all, just do you. That's a neat one. Hey, wait, but we're on the back of the guy. But we also don't want to get hurt relationally. Sounds like a good idea. Let's live together for a couple of years. We'll just kind of get the feel. We're not committed, but we're in it, but we're not. We sort of in, we sort of aren't, right? That's where that's coming from. Keep, I'm going to keep my options open. So we guard our hearts. Well, that sounds right. I mean, we're even told to guard our hearts. Sol- Solomon says that in Proverbs 4, he says, you know what? Guard your hearts above all else. For your heart determines the outcome and the course of your life. Well, maybe that word guard means something different than what we think guard means. So we need to be very uh, intentional about committing our hearts to God. The writer Paul tells us to, to set our minds, set our hearts on things above, which sounds right, but it can also sound pretty theoretical because we don't live above, we live here. There's a lot of earthly things that are competing for our hearts, for our minds. Where we commit our hearts, our minds, determines where we commit our plans. Where we commit our hearts and minds determines where we commit our plans. They come together. It's a head direction before it's a commitment of my plans. So the verse you read in Proverbs 16 where it said, commit your works to the Lord, your plans will be established, dot, 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 by the Lord. We need to commit our minds, our hearts to the Lord. What does that look like? Rick Warren has this quote, you need something bigger than yourself to draw you out of yourself. We can get very small-minded if we are the sum total of our universe. We can get very finite and lose the infinite nature of God if we simply focus on what we know and what we hope in. So the trust, the heart, the commitment, the hope, it's all, it's all wrapped around the same thing. The psalm talks, psalms talks a lot about hoping in God. Do I really hope in God? Or am I looking to guard my heart so much that I'm kind of living in my own small little mind? Because as long as I control my world, I'm in control of things, and I'm, I'm better off. Not so much. Philippians 4 says this. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, that's what guards your hearts and minds. 
It's the peace of God. When you're sitting on the back of God, metaphorically, as he's tightroping through life, the peace of God now becomes yours, not the plans that you had. Let your requests be made known. Absolutely, talk to God. Let him know what you're thinking. Here's what I want. But the peace of God is what's going to guard my heart rather than me guarding my heart. So as I said, when I'm committing my plans to God, I'm really committing my heart to God because my plans are an extension of my heart's desire. Here's what I really want. But sandwiched in between verse 1 and 3 where we talked about committing your works to the Lord is verse 2. It says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. In other words, it's the motives or the heart, what's behind our plans. The Lord weighs that. He knows the condition of our hearts better than we do. He knows if our heart needs to be broken and rebuilt. If you've lived for more than a few days in life, you know that your heart will be broken in big ways or little ways, right? But we're in the business of protecting those hearts so they don't get broken. Those little hearts that Jeremiah says are deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But Craig told us last week, God wants to give us a new heart. One that is more devoted, directed toward him. So that way our passions can be transformed to God's passions and we don't need to choose between the two. That certainly is a goal. It's a work in process with time, with intentionality. Do you know Jesus because he has let you down? That wasn't the way I would have gone, but I know him better as a result of it. So how is God tugging at you, at your plans, and saying, hey, they're not rolled onto me? I can only believe that God has something specific for this body or for those who are listening to the podcast because this is the third week that we've kind of talked about the same thing. So what's God saying to us? I don't know. I'm just being faithful to direct what I feel like God has called me to direct, but I don't know about the outcome. That's God's business. But how many plans are you holding with a closed hand versus an open hand? What plans have we not rolled onto the Lord. See, we'll definitely not have the peace from God in plans in which we have too much ownership. I'm holding my hands around these because I feel better when I'm in control. I'm not going to have the peace of God. But if I let go, I don't know if I trust this guy that's walking on the tightrope underneath me. How well do you know him? This hits me pretty hard because I'm the kind of guy that once I set my plans... I like to do them. I don't really like change plans. God knows that. So I have a good opportunity to have a lot of zigzag plans in my life. It really wasn't my plan, but it was God's plan. And the longer I've walked with him, the more he's pried my fingers off my plans and off my need to counterbalance what I think he's balancing wrong. Let me get that for you, God. Isn't it silly when you think of it that way? Think of yourself being on the back of that guy. Counterbalancing, now nah, I got I got to figure it out. No, no, you don't. So make your plans, plan your days, plan your ways, make your forecasts and projections, but then roll them like a ship being rolled into the ocean, designed to be carried by the ocean. Roll them 
unto a loving God who wants to bless you. In more ways than you can imagine, but he's got the outcome covered. We simply make the plans. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your patience with our desire to counterbalance. Not on one level we know you've got it covered, but on the other level we want to give you a little assistance. And God, that just isn't what you had in mind. So God, thanks for being mindful of our humanness and our human frailty. Thanks for loving us in the middle of it. Thanks for being patient with the journey that we're on. Incline our hearts towards you, God. Incline our hearts towards you. In Christ's name, amen.